And uh, so again, I want to thank you, and I, it's it's a great honor. It, it, it truly is to be with 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 you. And I want to share with you what I have in my heart from God's Word. And um, I don't just uh, randomly just you know pick a message or something, uh, or just grab something out of a filing cabinet. But I, I sincerely pray, and that's why sometimes it takes a little while. My wife gets angry at me, like, "Why are you?" Even last night, I'm I'm studying and and and. But, but, but I have to hear from God, and sometimes it takes time to get it settled. And this may not be the message you expected me to preach, and I can understand that, but this is where I am, and I believe I've heard from the Lord, and I've learned over time just to trust that leading. So I'm going to invite you on this wonderful morning to turn with me to the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, and verse 2 is a good place to start. And while you're turning to that verse of Scripture, I'm just going to pray for myself, Lord knows I need it, and pray for you, not only that God will help me to preach this word, but he will equally anoint you to receive it. Yes. Father, we come to you in the precious, matchless name of Jesus, and I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts to receive impartations of truth and grace. Father, enlighten us, illuminate us. Make the realities of your word real to us and relevant to us by your spirit. Father, may he that speak, speak as the oracles of God. And may he that minister do so with the ability that you furnish. So that in all things Jesus Christ may be glorified. To him belong the dominion and the power forever. Father, you know where we are. You know where we need to be. You can see our tomorrow better than we can remember our yesterday, and you know how to get us there. So I pray that this message would not just be for the moment and not just for today, but also for our future, for our tomorrow. And so for all of this, we give you praise and glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Someone shout amen. Amen, amen and amen. Notice with me today. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. I'm going to read uh, this particular verse from the New King James Version. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God or through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is just stirring on the inside of me, and I want to spend some time there, and I trust it will help you. You know, the word grace holds a prominent place in Scripture. Paul and the other writers of the New Testament use the word grace uh, 124 or more times, depending on the translation you use. And grace is a large word, encompassing various shades of meaning. Like the word love, it cannot be defined in a simple sentence, you see. Um, it's a mistake to define grace too narrowly. Uh, we have to tell many times from the context, the way Paul uses the word, what he has in mind. But generally speaking, we could say that grace is God's extreme kindness toward those who are undeserving of his help. It is God's goodness to those who have not been good. And we could also say that grace is God's divine influence and intervention in our lives. 
God's divine influence and intervention in our lives. It is God working in us and also working for us, changing our hearts as well as altering our circumstances for his glory. Grace perfects us and also performs for us to fulfill God's purposes. And I was interested to find out that one scholar said that the Greek word that is translated grace, which might be pronounced something like charis, that this word is always connected to power. The Greek word translated grace in the New Testament is always connected to power. And so that means grace is more than God having a favorable attitude towards you. It's more than God liking you, right? You know, my grandmother liked me, but she couldn't heal me. No, but it's more than that. It's God's willingness to use his ability on your behalf. Are you out there today? God's willingness. So, you know, we, could, we sometimes talk about how, 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 about God's power. Thank God for that. You know, and sometimes we even sing, he's able, he's able. Yeah, but you know, Bill Gates is able to give me a million dollars, but he's not willing. <laughs> so it doesn't help me just to tell me what God can do. I know what he can do, but I need to know what he's willing to do. Amen. Hallelujah. And you need to know that grace is not simply love. It would be a mistake, in my opinion, to, to, to equate those two words, although they're involved. You see, God cannot love you any more than he does right now. Are you listening to me? God cannot love you any more than he does right now. But you can experience more of his divine influence and intervention in your life. The scripture that we read just a moment ago says, grace and peace be multiplied to, not just increased, but multiplied. Praise the Lord. Then again, in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, it describes those new believers by saying, and great, those early believers, by saying, and great grace was upon them all. Not just a little grace, great grace. The Bible describes Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, as a man who was full of grace. So that means there's more. I don't care if you've been saved 100 years, there's more of God's grace available for you. And I'll go one step further. Nobody in this room has tasted all the grace of God. How are, you out, are you out there today? And, and then again, God's love is unconditional. It's not performance-based, right? There's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more. It's not, his love is not based on anything you have done or will do. See? God loves you simply because he wants to. And there's nothing you can do to change his mind. He loved this rebellious world enough to send his son to die for them. Amen. See, if you think grace is simply love, then you'll come to the conclusion that God loves some people more than others. And that's not true. 
see, think about this. There are conditions to receiving and experiencing God's grace. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, I think that's a verse that's familiar to many Christians. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? So grace is undeserved. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. It may be unmerited, but it is not unqualified. I'll say that again. Grace may be unmerited, but it is not unqualified. We are saved from sin because of God's grace and our faith. And many people do not believe the gospel, so they're not qualified. If you think grace is unconditional, then you would have to conclude that everyone will automatically be saved. That will lead you into doctrinal error, into universalism, and that's not true, and that's not the case. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Then again, another scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, See to it, Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. He's writing to believers. Other translations say, Be sure that you don't fall short or miss the grace of God. That means we have something to do with God's favor being released in our life. It's not just all up to God. I said it's not just all up to God. You and I have something to do with it. We have a part to play. For example, I read 2 Peter chapter 1, but if you just turn the page back to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, I think many of you know this verse. It says God gives grace to the humble. So does God give grace to everybody? Well, evidently not. In fact, there's some people, it says he resists. You know, if the devil's coming against you, you can resist him. If God's resisting you, you need to make some changes. <laughs> some people are rebuking and binding, and that's not the problem. God doesn't want you to rebuke the devil. He just would be appreciative Stop acting like the devil. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's move on. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. See, one reason the proud, and of course they're not here this morning. They must be those folks on vacation. I don't know. But one reason, one reason the proud don't receive God's help is they don't think they need it. So several years ago, it was, it was probably, probably 20 years ago, I was in my office in, uh, in Nagaland, northeast India, in the church there, and I was praying, and the Lord spoke to me, and it's kind of funny because I wasn't even thinking about this subject, but he spoke to me and said, in my heart, my help is always available, but often my people will not receive it. I, that just came like out of the blue. I mean, I wasn't studying these scriptures or anything like that. My help, the Lord said to me, my help is always available. Well, that's good to know. But, he said, often my people will not receive it. And then while I, I was actually lying on the floor with my Bible and notebooks, and then 
it, like in my mind's eye, for lack of a better way to say this, he, I suddenly saw a scene from my past. The Lord brought to my remembrance something that happened to me when I was um, in high school. Our family took a vacation in the summer to uh, New Hampshire. Uh, we stayed in a little cabin by a lake, or what they would call a pond. To me, it's a lake, but they would call a pond. And, uh, and so I got, on, I got in a little sailboat by myself, and I went out on the, on the water, and I was having a good time, and then the wind was a little contrary, and I got stuck in a corner of that lake, and I could not get out. I, could, I couldn't turn the boat. I, I was stuck. I just stuck. I couldn't navigate out of it, and I, I did everything I knew to do. And I had taken a course in sailing. I mean, I'm from Virginia Beach. I'm not afraid of the water. I, I had taken a course in sailing, which doesn't qualify you for anything. But, but at any rate, I, you know, I even pulled the, the centerpiece out and was using it as, a, as an oar to try to get out of that, that, little, uh, that little quandary I was in. And I was getting frustrated. And my, bro my younger brother, seeing my difficulty, you know, evidently, he came zooming up in a motorboat to the rescue. And that made me mad. <laughs> See, all of this happened while I'm lying on the floor. The scene just played in my mind. And, 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 and it made me real mad because it hurt my pride. I'm the great mariner there, right? You know? and, uh, and so I, I shouted at him and I said a bunch of stuff to him. And he didn't say a word. He just zoomed away. And that made me madder. <laughs> I thought, that's funny that God, you know, he, he has all of this recorded. <laughs> and just at the right, he just happened to bring that little scene to my life. That's, that's the illustration he brought to my mind about help came and you didn't receive it. So that's the thing. While I'm on the subject, this has nothing to do with anything, but John's number one rule of prosperity, don't hate the guy that has it. That's not going to help you. <laughs> it's not a sin for the other fellow to be blessed. It is a sin for you to be full of envy. Amen. Let's move on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. So it takes humility to admit that you can't do everything on your own, that you need God, that you need his help. Humility is not having a low opinion of yourself. It is recognizing your total dependence on God. In fact, a lot of people in the church world have fake humility, honestly. You know, in church, they'll say, I'm just a worm, I'm just a dog. But if somebody out there called you a worm and a dog, you'd slap them. <laughs> Means you don't believe that. Amen. Hallelujah. Humility is often one of those virtues that those who have it don't realize it. I said, humility is one of those virtues often that those who have it don't realize it. Like I heard the story about the guy, uh, the church voted him the most humble person in the church. So they gave him a sticker, a badge to wear, most humble person. They had to take it away from him because he started wearing it every Sunday. LAUGHTER Who's the most humble person here today? Would you raise your hand? God bless you, brother. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Amen. It's recognizing your total dependence on God. Like the song says, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Here's the deal. As we grow spiritually 
We don't become less dependent on God, but more. You realize I need his help every day, not just in the crisis of life. I need his help waking up in the morning. Maybe some people needed his help this morning. I'm not sure. They're not here. I, I need his help driving, oh, driving down I-95. You definitely need his help. I need his help dealing with people. I need his help in the workplace. I need his help in the school. I need his help, you know, in the kitchen. I need his help every day. And he said, my help is always available. That means, actually, life can be better for us. It doesn't have to necessarily be as hard as it is. Let God do the heavy lifting in your life. You have your part. Don't, don't get me wrong. But let God do the heavy lifting. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Witnesses. Witnesses often said they saw Catherine Kuhlman backstage before the beginning of her huge, massive healing crusades, pacing back and forth and praying, sometimes with tears, saying, I can't do this. I'm not able to do this. I don't have anything. I have nothing to say. God, if you don't help me, I'll never make it. And then she got out there, and everybody in the room was healed. Miracles started happening. That attitude of humility was part of the secret of her success. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. In fact, let me go a little further. Sometimes you have to fail before you can succeed. Sometimes God will allow you to fall flat on your face so that you can learn not to trust in your own abilities, but his. Sometimes before a man can have faith in God, he has to lose faith in himself. Hallelujah. Amen. It's easy to say, I believe God, I'm standing on his word. But actually, you're leaning on your family, you're leaning on your friends, you're leaning on your career, your investments. And when all those props are kicked out from underneath you, and there's nothing but God, that's when you start to see the grace of God begin to work in your life. Hallelujah. In fact, when you understand this principle, you don't disparage your lack of talent. You don't bemoan uh, your awkward personality or, or, or maybe you're not as good looking as somebody else or, or you're not as bright as someone else because you realize this, that every weakness in your life is an opportunity for God to shine bright, to show himself strong on your behalf, and then he'll get the glory because everyone will know it couldn't be that guy because he don't, he don't have anything. It has to be God. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.31, and let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Amen. So we said earlier that grace is divine influence. I want to think about that for a second. Take a moment to, to, to study that for a second. Grace is divine influence. 
God has the ability to sway, to stir, to urge on, to motivate, to constrain, to direct or inspire people. He can persuade them without pressure. He can coax them without control. He can powerfully impact a person's character and behavior. He can affect positive change in our lives. Think about this. In John 6, 44, I don't know if you ever thought about this very much, but in John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one, he said, can come to me unless the Father draws him. He doesn't mean, he did not mean that no one could approach him. Lots of people approached him. The Pharisees talked to him. Even the devil approached him. What he really means is no one can come to me for salvation or no one can believe in me unless the Father draws that person. People aren't saved just because they lack information and now they've got it. It's the Spirit of God that draws the heart to the Lord. Are you listening to me? The Amplified Bible says, unless the Father attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. So there was a young man in our church, and his testimony is this. He was raised a Muslim, and for some unknown reason, at Christmas time, he decided to visit our church. He doesn't even know why. He said he just woke up one day and said, I think I should go there just to see. He sat in the very back and listened to my sermon, my preaching. And when I gave the altar call, I said, now, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, raise your hand. And he said, I don't even know why, but my hand shot up. <laughs> he thought, what am I doing? What am I, I'm a Muslim. What am I doing? And then I said, if, you, if, you, if you're serious about this, stand up. And he said to himself, I'll never do that. And he found himself standing up. And then I said, and if you mean business with God, then walk down here. And he said, I'll never do that. That's the last thing I'll do. I'll never go there. And he came down in the front and got saved and said, I don't even know why. I don't know how that happened. Well, see, that's God drawing him. And today, he's been with our church, in our church for almost 30 years. You know, Today, he's one of the most faithful members we have. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Grace is influence. God, who is a spirit being, can speak to the heart. He can sway people. He can urge them to move in the right way. And he can do a better job of it than you or I could ever do. See, it's helpful to remember that you have the Holy Spirit. You are not the Holy Spirit. Write that down. <laughs> you, have, you have the Holy Spirit, but you are not the Holy Spirit. Some Christian wives need to write that down. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. So I met Jeputoli. Vikuho Jamomi, she's here on the front row, in Calcutta, the city of joy. I don't know why it's called that. 
<laughs> and, um, and, and so uh, we got engaged. And, and then I had to go back to, to America. And she went uh, from Calcutta back to her hometown in Nagaland. And she told her parents that uh, she wanted to marry me. And I, I hope that I, I don't misquote them, but I believe her father stood up, and I believe these are his exact words. Help me if I'm wrong. He said, no, 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 and left the room. And then her mother stood up and said, no, and left the room. They told her, and she, she's the uh, uh, oldest and the only daughter, and they said, we don't marry outside our tribe. Sorry, that doesn't happen. Actually, when I got home, my mother told me the same thing. <laughs> and um, so it looked very, very bleak, like this isn't going to happen, you know. And so Jeppy's mother had a dream one night. And in her dream, she was attending, if I understand correctly, she was attending a large, like, crusade meeting or open air meeting, gospel meeting at, at, you know, in, in Nagaland. And a helicopter came and hovered over the site and, and landed and everybody was afraid and ran away. And there were two Westerners or like, like us, you know, in the helicopter and they called her out of the crowd and said, come here. And she came forward and one of them said, let your daughter marry the foreigner. And the helicopter took off. So she woke up from that dream. And she started preaching to the whole family, you know. She, like Stephen in the Bible, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so, you know, they backed up on their heels. And so she, she, she convinced them all they changed their mind. Praise the Lord. In fact, when I landed in Nagaland, February 1st, 1994, they took me to a little room in a guest house, and they were all there in their traditional dress, to meet me. And I looked at them and went, wow. And they looked at me and went, wow. I wanted to say I'm Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. But they haven't seen that cartoon, so that wouldn't be funny to them. <laughs> but it felt like that. <laughs> That's God's grace. That's God's divine influence. Think about this scripture, Proverbs 21.1. I'll read again from the New King James Version this time. The king's heart, or the heart of the king, is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. That speaks of uh, influence. God does not control people against their will. If he could force people to get saved, he would have done it. Because it's not his will that any man perish. So grace does not override the human will. It, he deals with people. He influences them. But they still have a choice. But God can be powerfully influential. Amen? So in 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 22, we read this. I, to me, I find this fascinating. 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Notice this. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. 
Daniel, as a young man, was taken captive to Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, we read that Daniel, as he studied the scriptures, realized that Jeremiah prophesied, predicted, that God has decreed the captivity would last 70 years. He, it's, he read the same book of Jeremiah that's in your Bible. But when he read that prophecy, he didn't just sit down, relax, and wait for it to happen. He prayed. And that's what the rest of Jeremiah chapter 9 is all about. He prayed. He interceded for the nation. He, he was confessing the sins of Israel to God, you see. And so I think it would be safe to say that in answer to Daniel's prayer, the Lord stirred up, that's what the scripture says, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Cyrus is not a Jew. He's certainly not a New Testament believer. He's not a covenant man at all. But God can influence even sinners for his kingdom. So Cyrus made a proclamation allowing the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. That's divine influence. I said, that's divine influence. So I was interested, I was listening to a message from uh, Brother Hagen, Brother Kenneth Hagen. And he said that in 1953, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and spoke to him about several things. But one thing the Lord mentioned to him was 1953, they had just had, uh, when 52, they just had presidential election. Dwight D. Eisenhower was elected president. Do you remember that, Jeppy? And uh, 1953. And, uh, and in, the, in the course of their conversation, this is, now this is what Brother Hagin said, and I think it's valid, something you should consider. In the course of the conversation, Brother Hagin said, the Lord said to him, and I had something to do with that, meaning the election. I had something to do with that. And then Brother Hagin said, and he gave me several reasons why that he used his influence, why he was involved. Now, unfortunately, Brother Hagin never shared, as far as I know, never shared what those reasons are. And I don't think it necessarily matters. But if God could speak to a pagan king of Persia thousands of years ago to move him to fulfill the word of the Lord, he can certainly speak to people today. But if we want more Cyruses, we need more Daniels. Do you understand what I'm saying? We want more Cyruses, we're going to need some more Daniels. We're going to be people who pray. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. Often we want God to speak to everyone. Everyone in our life to change them. I think that's, what is it, Joyce Meyer said that you know, her prayer every day was, Lord, change Dave, her husband. Change Dave. Lord, change Dave. You got to change him. And one day the Lord said, uh, Joyce, Dave is not the problem. And she said, well, who is it? There's only two of us. (laughs) 
It'll, it'll, it'll come to you. <laughs> so sometimes we want God to speak to everybody in our life. Speak to my boss. Because he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a rascal. He's a hard-hearted guy. Speak to my coworkers. They're so cruel. Speak to, every, speak to everybody in my class. Speak to everybody, you know, uh, on, in the workplace, in the, home, in the family. Speak to, every, speak to everybody. But we don't particularly want God to speak to us. And we have selective hearing. If it's something we want to hear, yes, amen, I've heard from heaven. If it's something we don't want to hear, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> amen. Hallelujah. Let me give you another scripture. We are preaching from the Bible this morning. Let me give you another scripture, and, and, and I think you know this. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, English Standard Version says this. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. That's interesting. You excel in all these different areas. Make sure you excel in this area too. It says this act of grace. The New International Version says See that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? This grace of giving. And so if you read the beginning of the chapter, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I don't have time to go through everything, but Paul begins by boasting on certain believers who lived in another place. They lived in Macedonia. See, it's actually the people in Philippi. The people that he said, and my God shall supply all your need. So he's boasting about them. He says in verse 2 that they had extreme poverty. And that they were going through a severe test of affliction. So he's using some pretty heavy words to describe their situation. But in that, they overflowed with joy. And they had great generosity. Which is weird because usually people who are dirt poor and struggling for their lives aren't very generous. Right? That's, that's, that's unusual, see? And then he says in verse 3, and they gave beyond their means. See? So it's one thing to give what you have. But when you give something you don't have, that's on another level. And then he says in the next verse, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He's collecting an offering for poor people in Jerusalem. And he says they were begging us for the favor of participating in this offering. See, that's strange. Usually it's the, it's the, usually it's the preacher begging the people to give. But now the congregation is begging the pastor, please, please let us give. So that's unusual, isn't it? It's real quiet in this Presbyterian church, a Holy Ghost church. That's unusual. It's not normal because it's the grace of God, divine influence. Their hearts were touched. Their hearts were stirred. They were led. They were influenced to give when there was no rational reason for them to be involved in this. That's the grace of God. 
That's the grace of God. Hallelujah. So um, I graduated from ODU in Norfolk, and then I went to uh, uh, Rama in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, I got a little flat with a roommate, you know, and, uh, and then I'm there before school starts, and I got a little bit of money in the bank, and that's about it, you know, and I tried to get a job. We only had class like till noon, so I could get an afternoon job. And Rayma had some listings, and I called several, and you know, one person laughed at me. Some people just kind of were a little rude to me, and so got a little discouraged by that. And uh, I went to church, which is a good thing to do. <clears throat> I went to church that Sunday, and, uh, and, and Rayma didn't have a, a Sunday service in those days. I went to church. And the pastor said, uh, just pray whatever God says to you, obey the Lord in the offering. So I just bowed my head and just said, Lord, you know, speak to me. And I heard a still small voice in my heart say, give it all. <laughs> empty the account. Write a check, empty the account, give it all. And I thought, that's the devil. That's the devil. The devil's, he's messing with me right now. He's trying to, he's trying to kill me right now. I resist you, Satan. <laughs> and, and I was smiling on the outside. Inside, there was a tornado. My mind was like, shh. And thoughts were coming at my head like machine gun bullets. You can't do that. If you do that, you're going to go, you're going you're gonna to be homeless. You're going to be holding the cardboard on the corner, boy. Don't do that. And with fear and trembling, I don't know if the bank could even read my handwriting, I, I wrote that check. I left just a little bit just to keep the account open. But basically, I wrote that check, and I put it in the bucket, and I just watched that bucket go all the way down the aisle. <laughs> and something behind me seemed to say, tell the usher you've made a terrible mistake and grab that envelope and get it out of there. And I went home thinking, why did I do that? Why? Don't worry, I'm not taking up my own offering. Don't, 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 you know, some of you look really nervous. I'm just saying this. <laughs> and uh, I got home, and, and something said to me about the job, try again. So I, found a, I went back to that place. I found one number, and I called. And the lady on the phone said, you sound perfect for the job. They hired me. I worked at that place for, for two years. In fact, after I graduated, they want me to keep on working there. Then my father called me on the phone from Virginia Beach. And he said, um, well, we were praying. And me and your mother have decided we're paying all your school fees. And we're going to send you money every month. God parted the Red Sea, folks. I'm telling you, <laughs> I was tempted to say, who is this? And what have you done with my father? <laughs> when I, was, I remembered when I was a boy. And I was raised Presbyterian, God's frozen people. I was, I was a boy in the Presbyterian church. Our Sunday school class was going to go on an outing, and I needed a dollar. I, I needed some money. I needed some money for lunch. And I got a sermon from my father about how he walked barefoot through the snow and everything. I found out later that was a bunch of hooey, but how he walked through, barefoot through the snow. And then he reached in his wallet, his big fat wallet, pulled it out, and I guess loaded. And I thought, all right, all right. And he pulled out $1 and gave it to me and said, bring back the change. <laughs> and this is the guy calling me on the phone saying, you know, I'm going to pay it all. I thought, glory, there is a God. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Amen. 
In fact, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, you know the scripture, tells us why we should yield to the grace of giving. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, having more than enough, always, you may abound to every good work. See, like, here's the deal. But if God speaks to you and you don't want to hear it, then he won't speak to others to give to you. It's the same grace. It's the same divine influence. Are you listening to me? I got, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. Some of you look very worried. I don't know what time the cafeteria closes, but hang on. <laughs> hang on. I'll just read one verse. James 4, 6. James 4, 6. Just, just part of the verse. But he gives more grace. But he's writing to believers. So that means you don't have it all. There's more. There's more of his influence. There's more of his ability. There's more of his kindness intervening in you and in your situation. He gives more grace. The Amplified Bible says this, but he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. He's talking about like issues in your life, in the flesh. See? What he's saying is if God shows you something, if God shows you something in your life that needs to change, he will also give you the grace to make that change. That's why he's so merciful. He'll show you just maybe like one thing in your life. Like, you know, you have a short temper. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, you have a short temper. <laughs> and he deals with you. He speaks to you. He deals with you. But he's not trying to squash you, crush you, condemn you. If he shows you something, he's also furnishing the ability to overcome that, that evil tendency, that wrong tendency, right? Right? If God is dealing with you to forgive someone, know this, he will also help you to forgive. And not only forgive, but forget. You can have Holy Ghost amnesia. He will help you to do it. So, so um, all my life, I had a sharp tongue. Growing up, my mother often scolded me, punished me for my big mouth. And one time she got so upset with me, she grabbed me by the ear. I don't know if this ever happened to any of you here today. She grabbed me by the ear, dragged me to the bathroom, and put not toothpaste, but Clorox soap and Clorox on my toothbrush and brushed my teeth and said, I'm going to clean out your dirty mouth. And I was blowing bubbles laughing the whole time. In fact, I got in trouble in school. My, my parents sent me to a Christian school, which, which, which was a good thing, but I didn't think it was very good. And I had an hour-long bus ride each way up to, to and from school. And I sat in the back of the bus, and I just, I just hated that bus driver. Just hated her. I hated, hated the school. I hated the bus driver. And, one, and she never said much, but one day she's driving down the road, and we passed a place where some men were repairing the street, and she suddenly spoke up. The bus driver suddenly spoke up and said, Students! 
That's why you need to go to school. So you don't spend the rest of your life repairing the road. And I said, or driving a bus. <laughs> I still have the scars <laughs> on my backside when my father heard about that. <laughs> so I had, so I, you know, I remember, now later on, when I was a first-year student, freshman at ODU, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. That changed my life. Of course, I got saved, and that was the main thing, but this, this revolutionized my life, you know. And, and one morning, I, 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 I knelt by my bed, and I prayed in the Spirit. I would encourage every Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then not only that, but then to pray in your prayer language. One problem is we have spirit-filled Christians who never pray in the Spirit. They go to church and do three shundais, and that's it. That's not enough, you know. And so I prayed, spent some time, I don't remember how long, praying, you know, in English, but also praying in other tongues. And then I, I sat on the bed and opened my Bible, and it happened to just flip open, I suppose it happened to flip open to Ephesians 4.29. And when my eyes went straight to that verse, it was like it was highlighted, almost. And when I looked at the words on the page, it was as if Jesus read it to me. And the words were like this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Man, my knees were quivering like a tuning fork. And I got back on my knees and I said, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so what the school authorities couldn't do, what my mother couldn't do, what my father couldn't do, God did by his word and by the Holy Spirit. I think up in heaven, God thought to himself, if we could somehow sanctify that big mouth, we might be able to use it. <laughs> and somehow or another, he was right. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's grace. See, then, then, see, but then years later, years later, I mean, I was in the ministry. I was traveling. I, I, I was preaching in a church in Canada, in Alberta, Canada. And, and I stayed with a family there, that, that, uh, the family of the pastor. And, and they had a, a, one, the brother-in-law of one of the sisters was the most sarcastic person I ever met in my life. Super sarcastic. Everything was snarky. Everything was a little, you know, a little wisecrack. Every little thing, you know. And I'm looking at, in a mirror at myself. And I thought, is that, is that what I'm like? And I thought... I don't like what I'm seeing. I, Lord, I don't want to be that person. See, God has ways. Oh, boy. You know, you know that God knows you better than you know yourself. <laughs> That's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> he knows you too well. You can't fake it. You can't fool him. He knows you. He knows what you're thinking. And he has different teaching methods. He can bring people into your life that can, can say exactly what you need to hear. You may not want to hear it. And maybe that's today. <laughs> but you need to hear it. That's the grace of God. God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. <laughs> he who began a good work in you shall continue to perform it or perfect it until the day that Jesus Christ returns. But I'm not telling you to join a self-help program. I don't know if that's necessarily what I'm saying but I'm saying this, there's grace. He can deal with you. He can speak to you. He can give you strength. He can help you. My help is always available.
Amen. Well, that's my message. I don't know if that helped you or not, but that's my message today. What? What? You're very kind. Why don't we all just stand up today for a second, just for a second, and I think we ought to just give God some praise in the house today. Is anybody thankful for the grace of God in your life? I said, is anybody thankful for the grace of God in your life? If it, if it wasn't for his kindness, where, where would we be today? Let's be honest. Some of us wouldn't even be here. We'd be dead. Some of us, some of us, if we died, we wouldn't be going to heaven either. Where would we be? When we, church, when we praise God, we're not being generous. We're being honest. You may not have realized it, but it's the grace of God that protected you. It's the grace of God that has brought you this far. And it'll be the grace of God that takes you on further. And he gets the glory. In fact, I think only in heaven will we realize how great is his grace How amazing is God's grace in our life. So before we go to heaven, could we take a moment and thank him now for the grace of God in our life? Come on, church. Lift up a shout of praise in the house today. Glory to God. Glory to God.